From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Many children of all ages and from all types of family situations are having a really rough time during the pandemic. I'm grateful to have a child psychologist from the Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital to talk about what's happening. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Ann Regan. Thanks, I'm glad to be here today. Well, last time we spoke was in the spring and it was just several weeks into the pandemic. So a lot of time has passed and the situation with our kids seems to have gotten worse. So not just in central New York, but throughout the nation, we're hearing about an increase in suicidal thinking among adolescents. What is to blame for this? Well, there's a lot of factors as with many things. Uh, essentially, you know, it's the perfect storm of events that occurred during the pandemic. You have the decreased socialization, increased isolation. You have complete disruption and change in everything that was predictable for kids and their families, you know, daily routines. You have increased anxiety of uncertainty um, as well as increased stress. So putting all of those things together, you're gonna have increased negative thoughts, increased negative thinking. Um, fewer ways to cope and, and manage with all of these things happening at the same time. Usually in life, when something negative happens, it's one bad thing, hopefully at a time, and we have those other things in life to kind of keep us constant. But when so many things all changed all at the same time for kids and families, it really became too much at once. And and as you mentioned, like with parents, I mean, parents are going through all of this too, and sort of dealing with stuff that they're dealing with, and then they also have the kids to think about at the same time. It just it it seems like just an awful situation. It seems like a crisis within a crisis. So, yeah. what advice do you have for parents? So there's always this conversation of. Do we tell kids what we're really feeling as parents? Do we keep it from them? What's going to be in their best interest? The idea of modeling our emotions and modeling how we work through adversity really is in everyone's best interest because parents can have open and honest conversations with their children and with their partners, um, as well as showing kids that it's okay to not know the answers to everything, but the idea of keeping solution focused and problem solving together. And when you have those conversations as parents and caregivers with kids, it's okay to not know all the answers as long as you're ending it with, but let's try this or let's work through it and see if this helps us feel better. It's ending it with some sense of a plan or like I said, a solution or working through the problems together, that still you know, that instills the hope for the kids that, well, even if my mom or dad doesn't know the answer, you know, we'll figure it out and they're trying something. And that really can help um, with having that conversation and being open with kids. It's, it's nice for them sometimes to see a parent cry or a parent get upset and then model how do they work through that frustration. That's the important part, whether it's about a global pandemic or whether it's about something more minor that we might have felt was as stressful um, up until this all started. Do you think that a lot of this will be mitigated when the schools are fully open again? Will that take some of the pressure off? It'll take some of the pressure off, but with everything, it's a pendulum. So we went to this extreme 
of, you know, complete lockdown and everybody being isolated at home, just because kids are back on a certain date doesn't mean everything's just going to be completely back to normal. There's still going to be an adjustment period for that pre-normalcy or back to normal time. Um, and so things aren't just going to improve overnight. And I think what this has highlighted is the cracks in various systems, whether it's healthcare systems, accessing mental health services, um, support systems, financial systems. It's, it's really exposed a lot of vulnerabilities. Um, and so it's going to take a while to reassure kids and family systems that, you know, they have the supports that they're going to need. So I'd like to say that if we pick a date and everybody's back in school and everybody's back in the office, um, that that's just going to be the day that everybody feels better. But we know that that is wishful thinking. And instead, it is going to take um, some time if we're being realistic about what that return to normalcy is going to be like. So in the meantime, what can parents do to help adolescents cope? Should we be relaxing house rules or should we be instilling more structure? I mean, what, what practical things can we do at home? So we know one of the things with managing anxiety and stress is keeping some forms of structure. It's just also not being too rigid. So again, we want to kind of be in the middle. We don't want to be on these, these extreme ends of the pendulum. So um, definitely keeping structure and keeping healthy expectations and expectations that kids can accomplish actually can reassure their abilities and make them feel good about themselves when they've been able to successfully complete a goal. So keeping those household chores that a kid can feel good about when they've done, or um, again, those, those aspects of structure where they can be successful at something that can actually help, you know, challenge and mitigate some of that stress and anxiety. Um, but keeping healthy, reasonable expectations and setting those boundaries um, definitely is, is helpful in managing the stress and the anxiety. So structure can certainly help with that as long as it's not something that is going to make a child feel as though this is another thing that I can't do, or this is another thing that just adds um, to the overall pressure that they feel. So it's gotta be something that benefits the family system in that regard. Well, one thing I think many of us have had during the pandemic is a lot of family togetherness. So how important is it to have alone time too? So with everything, it's about balance and proportion. So we have had a lot of time together. So it is nice for kids and parents and caregivers and other family members and people of the support system to also have that alone time, whether it's in their room or whether if the, if the actual weather allows to be outside, um, it is about balance. So alone time can be helpful for people and kids to work through their thoughts and their emotions and um, get a break and kind of reduce the stimulation that we get when we're all together in a room with electronics and the noise and the schooling and the TVs and all of that. Um, so it's about balance, but alone time can certainly be a good thing as well. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Ann Reagan. She's a child psychologist at the Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital. So I want to ask you about what point, at what point is professional intervention warranted? So if you have a child and they're admitting suicidal thoughts, or if they say they're struggling with depression, where and when can a parent turn for help? So again, as we talked about, there 
this process and this experience has definitely identified some of the cracks in the system and the vulnerabilities. Um, a lot of families um, and adolescent patients and younger patients have turned to going to pediatric emergency departments and emergency rooms. Um, those visits has increased. The American Academy of Pediatrics actually just put out um, some numbers and it's trends across the country as well as we've seen similar um, trends here locally. But um, although the overall number of visits may have decreased during especially the early time of the pandemic because people were trying to avoid health care centers and trying to not go to hospitals and all of that, of the visits that did show up at the hospital, there was an increase in that percentage that were related to mental health. Um, whether it had to do with suicidality and thoughts of self-harm or overall being overwhelmed um, and showing behaviors that parents just couldn't safely manage at home. The, the trend is that has increased um, during the pandemic. So professional help is warranted when caregivers, parents, and support systems can't keep those kids safe, um, feel that physically they can't ensure their safety, they can't make the environment around them safe and protect them in that regard. And so then it's it's a better idea to go to an environment and go to a place where, where it's created and it's meant to keep kids physically safe. So the Galasano um, Children's Hospital, the emergency department there is uh, equipped and ready uh, to help families in this situation, correct? Correct. The local hospital here, Galasano Children's, um, has that and there's systems in place directly starting with services in the emergency department, as well as increasing the level of service, whether an inpatient um, visit is needed in an admission or whether intensive outpatient um, services need to be set up as part of going home safely. There's a variety of different options that are available here locally. Um, and a number of different agencies as well. So again, the vulnerabilities that have been identified during this pandemic um, have shown the need for an increase in mental health services across ages, both adolescents as well as younger kids and, and family services. Um, and whether that looks like increasing access through telemedicine or coming to an office in a more traditional sense, um, it's gonna look a little different, I think, moving forward. Do you think, are pediatricians able to make timely referrals to psychologists if it's a situation that's not um, emergent? Uh, are they able to make referrals to psychologists in a reasonable amount of time? Um, I think, unfortunately, the time frame does lag and, and it is much longer than we would like to see, both as a provider on our end, as well as the people such as the pediatricians making the referrals. They can, they can make the referral itself in a timely manner, but getting the follow-up and the service does take um, quite a bit longer. But again, after the initial kind of fallout of um, when everything shut down in the beginning of March and April, services were as quick as they could be to um, do telemedicine and try to close that gap um, in terms of the delay of time. But if we were to look at it now, I would say that most people um, have to wait uh, longer than they'd like for services to start. I've heard sociologists referring to today's teens as Generation Q, Q for quarantine. Do you think this experience is going to leave lasting scars on this generation? Um, I think scars is a tough word. I think lasting impressions and lasting experiences. Um, 
I, you know, everyone's going through this together. So it's not like just one group in one part of the country had this um, isolating experience. And so when we look to compare, um, you know, teens to their peer groups, everyone's gone through it. So although no one's experience is exactly the same, they certainly have um, each other to talk to and um, work through it together, which is different than, you know, compared to a trauma when not everybody has gone through that together. And so they don't have that peer group to talk to and work through it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure there'll be lots of studies in, you know, the future as well as longitudinal studies to kind of look at this. Uh, but again, when a whole cohort or a peer group has gone through similar things, then, you know, the way that we compare those experiences is a little different compared to an individual going through um, a situation or experience that not everybody has. We often think of children being resilient, but during this protracted time of crisis, I wonder how long we can expect that resilience to last. And I wonder if there are ways that a family can build or maintain resilience. So certainly like resilience, if you think about it as a quality, is you know a skill that you can build on. And so some people may be more resilient than others. It may come easier to someone compared to another. And so certainly a family system may have built some of those coping skills and may have, you know, added and contributed to their skill set to make them more resilient. Um, and so that's not necessarily something that just goes away. Um, it stays with them, and the next time they are faced with adversity, they can rely on that resiliency and those qualities um, to get through another difficult time. So the idea would be that they can certainly build upon um, this experience and, and focus on what they've done successfully to get through difficult times and use those um, skills again in the future. Are babies and toddlers, do you think they're even aware of the pandemic? It's so tough because even within the toddler stage, there's so many smaller um, developmental kind of stages in that time period. Um, babies themselves, less so, I think, because they don't have other points of comparison um, and maybe their schedules didn't change. So a three-month-old has been home with mom or dad the entire time. And so that might've not been as different um, if then, you know, you were home for an extended period of time, but yes, a toddler who maybe went to daycare or had a babysitter or, or saw their children. And then all of a sudden that was taken away. Um, certainly they're going to notice some of those changes. The nice thing, as we talked about resiliency and plasticity is that, um, those younger kids will recover and any losses, and that's a tough word, but we'll just use it, um, that they may have experienced, whether it's emotional or skill set or academic, um, the younger they are, usually the quicker they are to catch up and fill in those gaps and those losses, um, especially if we kind of address it at a younger age. So some of those academic experiences, for example, um, that change for the younger kids, they all experience that together. So also going forward, they're all going to have, you know, had the same deficits or the same learning experiences. So next year, everybody's kind of starting at a similar position, um, which again is nice compared to just if it was an individual who missed a school year or a subset of the country that missed a school year, but all fifth graders had a, a negative learning experience this year. So next year, they'll all be sixth graders and hopefully they can all start to learn and recover together and fill in those academic gaps and fill in some of those social and emotional gaps as well. Thank you to child psychologist Ann Reagan from the Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and radio talk show, 
HealthLink on air.